Chapter sixteen of By Pike and Dyke, a tale of the rise of the Dutch Republic. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. By Pike and Dyke by G. A. Henty. Chapter sixteen. Friends in trouble. Within the little town of Alkmaar, all went on quietly. While the Spaniards constructed their lines of investment and mounted their batteries, the men labored continually at strengthening their walls, the women and children carried materials, all the food was collected in magazines, and rations served out regularly. A carpenter named Peter Vandermey managed to make his way out of the city a fortnight after the investment began with letters to the prince and Sonoy, giving the formal consent of all within the walls for the cutting of the dikes when it should be necessary for according to the laws of holland a step that would lead to so enormous a destruction of property could not be undertaken even in the most urgent circumstances without the consent of the population at daybreak on the eighteenth of september a heavy cannonade was opened against the walls and after twelve hours fire two breaches were made upon the following morning two of the best spanish regiments which had just arrived from italy led the way to the assault shouting and cheering as they went and confident of an easy victory they were followed by heavy masses of troops now ned was again to see what the slow and somewhat apathetic dutch burghers could do when fairly roused to action every man capable of bearing a weapon was upon the walls and not even in harlem was an attack received with more coolness and confidence as the storming parties approached they were swept by artillery and musketry and as they attempted to climb the breaches boiling water pitch and oil molten lead and unslaked lime were poured upon them hundreds of tarred and blazing hoops were skilfully thrown on to their necks and those who in spite of these terrible missiles mounted the breach found themselves confronted by the soldiers and burghers armed with axe and pike and were slain or cast back again three times was the assault renewed fresh troops being ever brought up and pressing forward wild with rage at their repulses by so small a number of defenders but each was in turn hurled back for four hours the desperate fight continued the women and children showed a calmness equal to that of the men moving backwards and forwards between the magazines and the ramparts with supplies of missiles and ammunition to the combatants at nightfall the spaniards desisted from the attack and fell back to their camp leaving a thousand dead behind them while only twenty-four of the garrison and thirteen of the burghers lost their lives a Spanish officer who had mounted the breach for an instant, and, after being hurled back, almost miraculously escaped with his life, reported that he had seen neither helmet nor harness as he looked down into the city, only some plain-looking people generally dressed like fishermen. The cannonade was renewed on the following morning, and after seven hundred shots had been fired and the breaches enlarged, a fresh assault was ordered. But the troops absolutely refused to advance. It seemed to them that the devil, whom they believed the Protestants worshipped, had protected the city. Otherwise how could a handful of townsmen and fishermen have defeated the invincible soldiers of Spain, outnumbering them eightfold? in vain don frederick and his generals entreated and stormed several of the soldiers were run through the body but even this did not intimidate the rest into submission and the assault was in consequence postponed already indeed there was considerable uneasiness in the spanish camp governor sonoy had opened many of the dikes and the ground in the neighborhood of the camp was already feeling soft and boggy it needed but that two great dikes should be pierced to spread inundation over the whole country 
The carpenter who had soon after the commencement of the siege carried out the dispatches had again made his way back. He was the bearer of the copy of a letter sent from the prince to Sonoy, ordering him to protect the dykes and sluices with strong guards, lest the peasants, in order to save their crops, should repair the breaches. He was directed to flood the whole country at all risks rather than to allow Alkmaar to fall. The prince directed the citizens to kindle four great beacon fires as soon as it should prove necessary to resort to extreme measures, and solemnly promised that as soon as the signal was given, an inundation should be created which would sweep the whole Spanish army into the sea. The carpenter was informed of the exact contents of his dispatches, so that in case of losing them in his passage through the Spanish camp he could repeat them by word of mouth to the citizens. This was exactly what happened. The dispatches were concealed in a hollow stick, and this stick the carpenter, in carrying out his perilous undertaking, lost. As it turned out it was fortunate that he did so. The stick was picked up in the camp and discovered to be hollow. It was carried to Don Frederick, who read the dispatches, and at once called his officers together. Alarmed at the prospect before them, and already heartily sick of the siege in which the honor all fell to their opponents, they agreed that the safety of any army of the picked troops of Spain must not be sacrificed merely with the hope of obtaining possession of an insignificant town. Orders were therefore given for an immediate retreat, and on the 8th of October the siege was raised, and the troops marched back to Amsterdam. Thus for the first time the Spaniards had to recoil before their puny adversaries. The terrible loss of life entailed by the capture of Harlem had struck a profound blow at the haughty confidence of the Spaniards, and had vastly encouraged the people of Holland. The successful defense of Alkmaar did even more. It showed the people that resistance did not necessarily lead to calamity, that the risk was greater in surrender than in defiance, and above all, that in their dikes they possessed means of defense that, if properly used, would fight for them even more effectually than they could do for themselves. Ned had taken his full share in the labors and dangers of the siege. He had been indefatigable in seeing that all the arrangements worked well and smoothly, had slept on the walls with the men, encouraged the women, talked and laughed with the children, and done all in his power to keep up the spirits of the inhabitants. At the assault on the breaches he had donned his armor, and fought in the front line as a volunteer under the officer in command of the garrison on the day when the spaniards were seen to be breaking up their camps and retiring a meeting was held in the town hall after a solemn thanksgiving had been offered in the church and by acclamation ned was made a citizen of the town and was presented with a gold chain as a token of the gratitude of the people of alkmaar there was nothing more for him to do here and as soon as the spaniards had broken up their camp he mounted a horse and rode to ankhausen bidding his escort follow him at once on foot he had learned from the carpenter who had made his way in that the fleet was collected, and that a portion of them from the northern ports under Admiral Dirk Zoon had already set sail, and the whole were expected to arrive in a few days in the Zuyder Zee. As he rode through the street on his way to the burgomasters, his eye fell upon a familiar face, and he at once reined in his horse. "'Ah, Peters!' he exclaimed. "'Is it you? Is the good venture in port?' Peters looked up in astonishment. The voice was that of Ned Martin, but he scarce recognized in the handsomely dressed young officer the lad he had last seen a year before. 
why it is master ned sure enough he exclaimed shaking the lad's hand warmly though if you had not spoken i should have assuredly passed you why lad you are transformed i took you for a young noble with your brave attire and your gold chain and you look years older than when i last saw you you have grown into a man but though you have added to your height and your breadth your cheeks have fallen in greatly and your colour has well-nigh faded away i have had two long bouts of fasting peters and have but just finished the second i am captain martin now by the favour of the prince of orange how are they at home and how goes it with my father he is on board master ned this is his first voyage and right glad we are as you may guess to have him back again and joyful will he be to see you he had your letter safely that you wrote after the fall of harlem and it would have done you good if you had heard the cheers in the summer-house when he read it out to the captains there we had scarce thought we should ever hear of you again i will put up my horse at the burgomaster's peters and come on board with you at once i must speak to him first for a few minutes a messenger was sent off on horseback last night the moment the road was opened to say that the spaniards had raised the siege of alkmaar but i must give him a few details so you have been there too the guns have been firing and the bells ringing all the day and the people have been well nigh out of their minds with joy they had looked to the spaniards coming here after they had finished with alkmaar and you may guess how joyful they were when the news came that the villains were going off beaten a quarter of an hour later ned leapt from the quay on to the deck of the good venture his father's delight was great as he entered the cabin and he was no less astonished than peters had been at the change that a year had made in his appearance why ned he said after they had talked for half an hour i fear you are getting much too great a man ever to settle down again to work here not at all father ned laughed i have not the least idea of remaining permanently here i love the sea and i love england and my home and nothing would tempt me to give them up i cannot leave my present work now the prince has been so kind to me that even if i wished it i could not withdraw from his service now but i do not wish in another year if all the dutch cities prove as staunch as harlem and alkmaar have done the spaniards will surely begin to see that their task of subduing such a people is a hopeless one at any rate i think that i can then very well withdraw myself from the work and follow my profession again i shall be old enough then to be your second mate and to relieve you of much of your work i shall be glad to have you with me captain martin said of course i still have the supercargo but that is not like going ashore and seeing people oneself however we can go on as we are for a bit you have been striking a blow for freedom lad i mean to do my best to strike one to-morrow or next day how is that father bossu's fleet of thirty vessels are cruising off the town and they have already had some skirmishes with dirk zoon's vessels but nothing much has come of it yet the spaniards although their ships are much larger and heavily armed and more numerous too than ours do not seem to have any fancy for coming to close quarters but there is sure to be a fight in a few days there is a vessel in port which will go out crowded with the fishermen here to take part in the fight and i am going to fly the dutch flag for once instead of the english and am going to strike a blow to pay them off for the murder of your mother's relations to say nothing of this and he touched his wooden leg there are plenty of men here ready and willing to go and i have taken down the names of eighty who will sail with us so we shall have a strong crew and shall be able to give a good account of ourselves 
can i go with you father ned asked eagerly if you like lad it will be tough work you know for the spaniards fight well that cannot be denied but as you stood against them when they have been five to one in the breaches of harlem and alkmaar to say nothing of our skirmish with them you will find it a novelty to meet them when the odds are not altogether against us the next day the eleventh of october the patriot fleet were seen bearing down with a strong easterly breeze upon the spaniards who were cruising between Enkhausen and horn all was ready on board the good venture and her consort the bells rang and a swarm of hardy fishermen came pouring on board in five minutes the sails were hoisted and the two vessels flying the dutch flag started amidst the cheers of the burghers on the walls to take their share in the engagement they came up with the enemy just as Dirk Zoon's vessels engaged them, and at once joined in the fray. The Patriot fleet now numbered twenty-five vessels against the thirty Spaniards, most of which were greatly superior in size to their opponents. The Dutch at once maneuvered to come to close quarters, and the Spaniards, who had far less confidence in themselves by sea than on land, very speedily began to draw out of the fight. The good venture and a Dutch craft had laid themselves alongside a large Spanish ship, and boarded her from both sides. Ned and Peters, followed by the English sailors, clambered on board near the stern, while the Dutch fishermen, most of whom were armed with heavy axes, boarded at the waist. The Spaniards fought but feebly, and no sooner did the men from the craft on the other side pour in and board her, than they threw down their arms. Four other ships were taken, and the rest of the Spanish vessels spread their sails and made for Amsterdam, hotly pursued by the Dutch fleet. One huge Spanish vessel alone, the Inquisition, a name that was in itself an insult to the Dutch, and which was by far the largest and best manned vessel in the two fleets, disdained to fly. She was the admiral's vessel, and Bossu, who was himself a native of the Netherlands, although deserted by his fleet, refused to fly before his puny opponents. The Spaniards in the ships captured had all been killed or fastened below, and under charge of small parties of the Dutch sailors the prizes sailed for Ankhausen. The ship captured by the Good Venture had been the last to strike her flag, and when she started under her prize crew there were three smaller Dutch ships besides the Good Venture on the scene of the late conflict. With a cheer, answered from boat to boat, the four vessels sailed towards the Inquisition. A well-directed broadside from the Spaniards cut away the masts out of one of them, and left her in a sinking condition. The other three got alongside and grappled with her. So high did she tower above them that her cannon were of no avail to her now, and locked closely together the sailors and soldiers fought as if on land. It was a life-and-death contest. Mossu and his men, clad in coats of mail, stood with sword and shield on the deck of the Inquisition to repel all attempts to board. The Dutch attacked with their favorite missiles, pitched hoops, boiling oil, and molten lead. Again and again they clambered up the lofty sides of the Inquisition, and gained a momentary footing on her deck, only to be hurled down again into their ships below. The fight began at three o'clock in the afternoon and lasted till darkness but even this did not terminate it, and all night Spaniards and Dutchmen grappled in deadly conflict. All this time the vessels were drifting as the winds and tide took them, and at last grounded on a shoal called the Neck, near Wideness. Just as morning was breaking John Herring of Horn, the man who had kept a thousand at bay on the Dimar Dyke, and who now commanded one of the vessels, gained a footing on the deck of the Inquisition unnoticed by the Spaniards, and hauled down her colors, but a moment later he fell dead, shot through the body. 
as soon as it was light the country people came off in boats and joined in the fight relieving their compatriots by carrying their killed and wounded on shore they brought fresh ammunition as well as men and at eleven o'clock admiral bossu seeing that further resistance was useless and that his ship was aground on a hostile shore his fleet dispersed and three-quarters of his soldiers and crew dead or disabled struck his flag and surrendered with three hundred prisoners he was landed at horn and his captors had great difficulty in preventing him from being torn to pieces by the populace in return for the treacherous massacre at rotterdam of which he had been the author during the long fight ned martin behaved with great bravery again and again he and peters had led the boarders and it was only his morion and breastpiece that had saved him many times from death he had been wounded several times and was so breathless and hurt by his falls from the deck that at the end he could no longer even attempt to climb the sides of the spanish vessel captain martin was able to take no part in the melee he had at the beginning of the fight taken up his post on the taffrail and seated there had kept up a steady fire with a musket against the spaniards as they showed themselves above as soon as the fight was over the good venture sailed back to enkhuizen five of her own crew and thirty-eight of the volunteers on board her had been killed and there was scarcely a man who was not more or less severely wounded the english were received with tremendous acclamation by the citizens on their arrival in port and a vote of thanks was passed to them at a meeting of the burghers in the town hall ned sailed round in the good venture to delft and again joined the prince of orange there and was greatly commended for his conduct at alkmaar which had been reported upon in the most favourable terms by sonoy on learning the share that the good venture had taken in the sea fight the prince went on board and warmly thanked captain martin and the crew and distributed a handsome present among the latter half an hour after the prince returned to the palace he sent for ned did you not say he asked that the lady who concealed you at brussels was the countess von harp yes your highness you have no bad news of her i hope i am sorry to say that i have the prince replied i have just received a letter brought me by a messenger from a friend at maastricht he tells me among other matters that the countess and her daughter were arrested there two days since they were passing through in disguise and were it was supposed making for germany when it chanced that the countess was recognized by a man in the service of one of the magistrates it seems he had been born on von harp's estate and knew the countess well by sight he at once denounced her and she and her daughter and a woman they had with them were thrown into prison i am truly sorry for the count was a great friend of mine and i met his young wife many times in the happy days before these troubles began ned was greatly grieved when he heard of the danger to which the lady who had behaved so kindly to him was exposed and an hour later he again went into the prince's study i have come in to ask sir if you will allow me to be absent for a time certainly captain martin the prince replied are you thinking of paying a visit to england no sir i am going to try if i can do anything to get the countess von harp out of the hands of those who have captured her but how are you going to do that the prince asked in surprise it is one thing to slip out of the hands of alva's minions as you did at brussels but another thing altogether to get two women out of prison 
that is so ned said but i rely much sir upon the document which i took a year since from the body of von art's clerk and which i have carefully preserved ever since it bears the seal of the blood council and is an order to all magistrates to assist the bearer in all ways that he may require with the aid of that document i may succeed in unlocking the doors of the prison it is a bold enterprise the prince said and may cost you your life still i do not say it is impossible i have also ned said some orders for the arrest of prisoners these are not sealed but bear the signature of the president of the council i shall go to a scrivener and shall get him to copy one of them exactly making only the alteration that the persons of the countess von harp her daughter and servant are to be handed over to my charge for conveyance to brussels alone this document might be suspected but fortified as i am by the other with the seal of the council it may pass without much notice yes but you would be liable to detection by anyone who has known this man chenet there is a certain risk of that ned replied and if anyone who knew him well met me i should of course be detected but that is unlikely the man was about my height although somewhat thinner his principal mark was a most evil squint that he had and that any one who had once met him would be sure to remember i must practice crossing my eyes in the same manner when i present my papers the prince smiled sometimes you seem to me a man martin and then again you enter upon an undertaking with the light-heartedness of a boy however far be it from me to hinder your making the attempt it is pleasant though rare to see people mindful of benefits bestowed upon them and one is glad to see that gratitude is not altogether a lost virtue go my lad and may god aid you in your scheme i will myself send for a scrivener at once and give him instructions it may well be that he would refuse to draw up such a document as you require merely on your order leave the order for arrest with me and i will bid him get a facsimile made in all respects you will require two or three trusty men with you to act as officials under your charge i will give you a letter to my correspondent in maastricht begging him to provide some men on whom he can rely for this work it would be difficult for you a stranger in the town to put your hand upon them the next morning ned provided with the forged order of release started on his journey he was disguised as a peasant and carried a suit of clothes similar in cut and fashion to those worn by genet he went first to rotterdam and bearing west crossed the river lek and then struck the vall at gorakin and there hired a boat and proceeded up the river to nimogen he then walked across to grave and again taking boat proceeded up the maas past venlo and roermond to maastricht he landed a few miles above the town and changed his peasant clothes for the suit he carried with him at a farmhouse he succeeded in buying a horse saddle and bridle the animal was but a poor one but it was sufficiently good for his purpose as he wanted it not for speed but only to enable him to enter the city on horseback maastricht was a strongly fortified city and on entering its gates ned was requested to show his papers he at once produced the document bearing the seal of the council this was amply sufficient and he soon took up his quarters at an inn his first step was to find the person for whom he bore the letter from the prince the gentleman who was a wealthy merchant after reading the missive and learning from ned the manner in which he could assist him at once promised to do so you require three men you say dressed as officials in the employment of the council 
The dress is easy enough, for they bear no special badge or cognizance, although generally they are attired in dark green doublets and trunks and red hose. There will be no difficulty as to the men themselves. The majority of the townsmen are warmly affected to the patriotic cause, and there are many who are at heart Protestants, though, like myself, obliged to abstain from making open confession of their faith. At any rate, I have three men at least upon whom I can absolutely rely. Their duty, you say, will be simply to accompany you to the prison and to ride with these ladies until beyond the gates. They must, of course, be mounted, and must each have pillions for the carriage of the prisoners behind them. Once well away from the town they will scatter, leave their horses at places I shall appoint, change their clothes, and return into the city. What do you mean to do with the ladies when you have got them free?' I do not know what their plans will be or where they will wish to go, Ned said. I should propose to have a vehicle with a pair of horses awaiting them two miles outside the town. I should say that a country cart would be least likely to excite suspicion. I would have three peasants' dresses there with it. I do not know that I can make further provision for their flight, as I cannot say whether they will make for the coast or try to continue their journey across the frontier." you can leave these matters to me the merchant said the cart and disguises shall be at the appointed spot whenever you let me know the hour at which you will be there you must give me until noon to-morrow to make all the arrangements very well sir ned said i am greatly obliged to you and the prince who is a personal friend of the countess will i am sure be greatly pleased when he hears how warmly you have entered into the plans for aiding her escape I will present myself to the magistrates to-morrow at noon, and obtain from them the order upon the governor of the prison to hand the ladies over to me. If I should succeed, I will go straight back to my inn. If you will place someone near the door there to see if I enter, which, if I succeed, will be at about one o'clock, he can bring you the news. I will have my horse brought round at two, and at that hour your men can ride up and join me, and I will proceed with them straight to the prison." End of chapter 16